What a beautiful song. What a good message there. Thank you, ladies. Appreciate that. Let's take our Bibles. Let's head over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 for our Bible study this morning. I want to pick up where we've left off. Usually in the last few years on Mother's Day, we've been taking time to talk about and to honor the different moms, which is appropriate and good for us to do. But because we're in a series, I want to just continue. We're talking about family. In fact, we've been talking the last couple of weeks about parents. A couple of weeks ago, I introduced this portion of what we were talking about by giving the illustration that my dad had that business and where we had a hoist and we had to make sure that the car got on the hoist exact. Otherwise, it could fall off the hoist. And I made the analogy that we need to line up with the Word of God or we're going to have disasters. And so the idea that we've been talking about, and we did it one Sunday morning, but we've done most of it in the Sunday evenings, and a bulk of you haven't been here for some of those thoughts that we were sharing, which is trying to get really practical, more, not preaching, but more counseling. And we've been talking about this idea from Ephesians chapter 5. Then in Ephesians chapter 5, before he starts talking about family, he makes this comment in Ephesians 5, jumping down to verse 19 and 20 where he's, or verse 18, excuse me, where he says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. How's that going to display? Because you're going to give thanks and you're going to be able to uh, speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns, but also it's going to enable you to do verse 21. Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. We've been pointing out that this, this passage is saying that you voluntarily are to say, Lord, I want to submit to what you have for me. What is that? This word submit is to take your place, to fill in your spot. It's a military word that has the concept that you have an assignment, you do your assignment. And so it's something that he is saying that you and I should voluntarily say, Lord, I will do my role when it comes to relationships here on this earth. And the way I'm going to do that is you're going to fill me with your spirit. Well, what happens then in the next few verses, he talks about the roles of husbands. Love your wives. The role of wives. Submit to your husbands. Then in chapter 6, he talks to children, which is unusual. Because in ancient writings, very seldom did you write in a public sense, a public letter, to children. But God does, and God's pointing out their importance. It says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, so that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And then he shifts to the parents. Here's the parents' role. Provoke not your children. Stop provoking your children or, or upsetting them to the point of making them do wrong, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Then he goes on, talks about employees, employers. And so he gives very specific, very practical details about what we're supposed to do. Now, when it comes to parents... We've gone to this passage and other passages and pointed out and discussed at length that you're to be a provider, a protector of your kids. We understand that. We know that. We, we, we've explored Scripture on that. We also talked about passages of Scripture like this one, stop provoking your children to wrath, the idea of you're to be an encourager. You're to be a support for them. You're to be a cheerleader, a promoter for your kids. We talked from Titus how that specifically is in application is to moms be a child lover. Literally, it's the idea of not having emotions, but being a friend who is loyal, who is building them up. Then we've talked about the idea of being a pattern. This is part of the role of a parent, to be an example to their child, to be a pattern. We talked about a variety of the different areas that you are to provide an example for them. Last week, we spent time on talking about being an authority. Ephesians 6 says children are supposed to be listening to their parents. They're to be 
respecting them. In other words, you're to be taking the role of leading them, telling them things that they're to be doing. They're supposed to obey. That must imply implicitly you're instructing, you're teaching, you're having them here under you. They're respecting you because you're an authority, you're a leader, you're giving them direction. We went on and explained some real practical areas about how parents in these modern days need to embrace the idea that you're to be the leader of your child. You're to be the authority in their life. You're to be the one that establishes the rule, creates and sets the order for the home. And we made these observations last Sunday evening that you're supposed to be training your children to show you obedience and respect. In other words, you should expect this from them. You know it's going to be a battle, but you should expect them and train them that you expect them to. And we talked about practical things that we'll talk about in a couple of weeks from now. We'll get back to it in the evening. We talked about the, this, the bad practice that parents have of doing counting or raising their voice. They're training their children. You don't have to listen until I hit you know, the sound of a jetliner. And so we talked about the practical areas of, of how to teach and how to get your children in obedience and respect. And I pointed out towards the end of last Sunday's evening service is that if you do not train your children to be obedient to you, to respect you, you are telling them it's okay for them to live in sin against God. God told them to obey you. God told them not to disrespect you. And if you don't enforce that then you're saying to your child, you can sin against God, it's no problem. In fact, you're sinning against God yourself. You're to be bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That means you're to be training them the right things to do. And by allowing them to do wrong, you're doing wrong. Well, there's more to that that we'll discuss later on. And so last Sunday evening, we talked about different standards for correcting mistakes to avoid. We talked about what happens when they get a little bit older and gave you some suggestions with that. We're going to get to that more, more in the next uh, week. But let's go back to the roles. And let me just do two of them quickly this morning. The other two roles that are scripture is one advisor. Parents have the role to advise their kids. Now this is a wonderful audience to talk about it because when we start exploring this idea of advisor, we end up running to the book where it talks about the idea of training them and we're talking not just about little kids, but we're talking about what's present here. A lot of parents who have kids who are a little bit older, who are out of the grade school level, who are now in the level, in the age that they're making decisions, they're in their teen years, they're trying to figure out college and for the future. This is when advising, this is when you fulfill this role most in their life. And the Bible indicates that when you're bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, admonition of the Lord has the idea of you put things in their mind. You advise them, you counsel them, you're giving them direction that follows the Lord. And then we go a little bit further and we remind ourselves that that whole idea of train up a child in the way he should go and when he is older, when he is whisker-bearing years, he's going to be following that. Again, we're talking about that training up is training up is giving direction to, is leading that person. And when he talks about when a child that you're doing this, he's not just talking about little kids. He's talking in Scripture, the term is used of kids who are, who are already of marriageable age. And so being an advisor really stands out in the book of Proverbs. When you start going through the book of Proverbs, you read all these verses, my son, hear the instructions 
instruction of your father. Forsake not the law of your mother. My son, if you receive my words. My son, forget not my law. Hear, children, the instruction of your father. And we can go through multiple passages that indicate that the Proverbs writer was giving counsel. Attend to my wisdom. Keep my words. My son, keep your father's command. Forsake not the teaching. The word teaching or instruction, excuse me, is also a word for correction. So when he says a wise son hears his father's corrections, it's the idea of, okay, you need to do this differently. And it happens again in Scripture, and it comes up again that you're supposed to be listening to moms and dads. Now, that's the implication to young people who are in their teen years who are getting counsel and advice from their parents. Their parents are supposed to be fulfilling this role. In fact, the, the passage that we run to typically on Mother's Day, Proverbs 31, about that superwoman that makes everybody feel intimidated. That actually is a mom writing that passage to her son, King Lemuel, and she is advising him what to look for in somebody that you're marrying. This is marriage advice given by mom to a man who is old enough to get married. And so she's giving this advice about here are some of the virtues that you look for in a virtuous woman. What we have in scriptures are these thoughts when it comes to giving advice, that he is talking about areas about where you hang around with, who you hang around with. That's the entire chapter one. The parents are giving advice through in the book of Proverbs about how to handle finances, about giving, charity, not being greedy, not putting finances as being your most important thing in life. There's areas of speech that parents are to be talking about about this idea of not gossiping, not tail-bearing, having kind words, listening. Which, by the way, these are good things that you want to be teaching your kids. And he goes on, he says about work habits. He talks about love relationships. He gets very specific in the book of Proverbs about don't get caught up in a physical relationship with somebody you just met. Don't get involved with those who are seductive. Chapter, several chapters that deal with that. Chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7 is beware of that person who comes on very sensual. And don't get trapped by that because then he talks about the dangers there. And he goes on and talks about purity and keeping yourself pure for your spouse that you're going to marry. There's topics that he talks about is not having vengeance, controlling your anger, getting, staying away from alcohol that is hard alcohol. He talks about truthfulness. He's talking about having self-control. All these are things that parents are to teach. They're supposed to be instructing. And if you're not sure what you're instructing, you need to get into the Word of God so you know what to teach your kids. And so with that in mind, it came to me that, hey, wait a minute. Okay, he's talking to sons repeatedly. He's saying, sons, listen, sons, which is all-inclusive. Uh, but the idea of the son in this text is really interesting that as he talks with them, he's talking about a son who already has possessions. He's talking about a son who's involved in possibly physical relationships. He's talking about a son who is old enough to be getting married. He's talking about a son who is old enough to obtain alcohol, and he's telling him don't. He's talking about a son who is old enough to be involved with businesses. He's talking with that idea to kids who are older, not just preschoolers. This is the role of parents with teens and young adults to be their advisor, to be involved and training. And when you're doing that, when you're discussing, take note from the book of Proverbs, it's more than just a passing comment, you shouldn't do that. 
The book of Proverbs, as it lists, and it's a good training tool for you and me, is when Proverbs give a a bit of counsel or advice, it gives a reason. And the reason isn't, I said so. He gives very clear, Bible-based, circumstantial, logical, consequential reasons why you shouldn't be involved with somebody illicitly. Why you shouldn't be getting involved with drinking alcohol. Why you shouldn't be getting vindictive and getting angry. Why you should be an honest person when it comes to work and business. Very clear he's giving reasons. Good lesson for us as parents. When we're giving counsel to our older, getting older young people, we should be explaining facts and giving them information and helping them to understand so they own the principles of God's words based upon understanding clearly how this could affect them. So I look and I say, as an advisor, what does this teach me? It teaches me that I am supposed to have prepared my kids for real life. That they should have been trained by me to handle simple things. When we were in China, I shared this with you, that one of the difficulties that they were talking about, the college students, is there in China, the college kids weren't trained for real living. And so the the dean of the students said he spends most of his time talking about life issues, simple issues, how to be relating to other people, how to be able to shop for yourself, how to be able to handle finances, how to be able, and it was simple things, he says the majority of the students who show up don't even know how to do laundry. They were never trained in those areas. One of our staff was counseling somebody not too long ago, out of the region now, but that person had no clue about how to take care of paying bills, had no clue you need to pay taxes, had no, no training by their parents in practical areas. You need to be training kids. Now, that's good if you do that, but there's more to it. You need to be training in spiritual. But at least make sure you cover practically how to live, how to deal with things that are part of life. Sometimes you're going to have uncomfortable conversations. That's what the guy in Proverbs is doing. He's talking about his son, and he's talking. He's having a sex talk with his son in chapter 5, 6, 7. That can be uncomfortable, but it needs to be done. If you're not talking to him, somebody is. You need to be training and giving Bible base for that. You need to make sure that your counsel that you're giving kids agrees with Scripture. Um, Yeah, I'll do it. Um, we, We get involved with people's crises. And when we get in their crises, there's times people sit across the desk and they'll be saying, well, here's what my Christian friend at work has told me. Here's what my Christian relatives have told me. And a number of times I am absolutely dumbfounded by, quote-unquote, Christians giving counsel that goes with lying, cheating, that goes with approval for affairs, that goes with approval for leaving family, leaving spouse, that goes with approval of not seeking to restore broken relationships, going on personal ideas that totally go against the Word of God. If you're giving counsel, base your counsel on God's Word. Be a Bible counselor. Don't be just saying things that will make them feel good. Don't be, don't be assenting 
to what they may want to do when it's wrong. Too many people are just afraid of speaking God's word and saying, you know, the decision you're making, this is wrong. This lying, this cheating, this dishonesty, it's wrong. If it goes against God's word, it's wrong. And even if it's going to be difficult for them to handle it, so be it, they need to be able to confront it, deal with it, and handle it biblically. Train them right. Train them the authority is God's word, not feelings and not what the crowd says. As well, make sure that you are living what you're saying. What good does it do for me to tell my kids that they shouldn't gossip when I'm one of the biggest gossipers in the neighborhood? What good does it tell me to tell my kids to be honest and then I'm not even honest with things that come up at times answering the phone, talking to neighbors? What good is it for me to tell my kids to follow the Lord, put the Lord first, and then I don't do it? And I just come and do one hour at church on Sunday mornings, but then I forget my Bible, forget worship the rest of the week. What good is it? Most of the kids, when they hear that, they see that, their conclusion is mom and dad is a what? They're a hypocrite. So make sure your counseling, your lips and your life match. But make sure that you understand this. You can only counsel. You can't live their life. You can only counsel. You give them the truth, you give them the word, but they're going to ultimately make choices, just like you did when you were 19, 20, 21, 22. And some of those decisions may break your heart, but you can only counsel and leave it up to the Lord. And so you give the word of God, you teach them, and then you make it a matter of doing your next role. The next role that I think is one of the most important and one of the most frequently ignored roles until there's crises is this. Advocating on behalf of your kids. Praying on behalf of your kids. Yes, we pray when we're in a crises moment. Yes, we pray, God bless my family. Yes, we pray nebulous, general types of prayers, which are good, but I'm talking about real advocation for your kids. I'm talking about really, really fasting and praying for your kids. Really focusing on that. I don't have any Bible verse that says, Parents, thou shalt pray. There's no singular verse. I do have passages that I know from the Word of God that it shows us that different godly people, they made it a point of praying for their kids. Job did. Job is making sacrifice for his kids. He's pleading. He's advocating for his kids. That just in case something has gone wrong, I'll even offer an offering when they were still in the sacrificial system era. When that was even, even in ancient days. He is concerned about his kids. He's trained them. He's done well. He's a godly man. But now that they are older and they have their own homes, which we know from the book of Job, that they were gathered together on a birthday to celebrate one of the birthdays for one of the older sons, that they were all there at his house. And that's when the twister came and the roof collapsed, the walls collapsed, and the seven children were killed. That Job was a prayer warrior for his kids. I know that when we go in Scripture, David, talking about Solomon, he is praying for Solomon, though he knows of God's plan for him already, that he is going to be the successor, that he's going to be on the throne. David is still praying, God, please, my son needs this. He needs your wisdom. He's going to need to be walking in truth. I know in Scripture that we have the example that even Abraham, he had the different lineages. You have the Ishmael and you have the Isaac. Isaac was going to be the chosen seed. Ishmael was going to be the father of the Arab nations. He ends up still praying that God, please, bless Ishmael, my son, 
who is going in a different direction, but bless him. Bless him. So we have these examples, plus we have in scriptures, we have multiple calls to each and every one of us to be praying one for another. We have that idea where it's specifically stated that those who are in leadership, God forbid that we would stop praying. That applies to those who are serving in the sense of leadership. It provides those who, the man who's saying it, is a priest. Dad, you're acting, acting, dad, mom, as a priestly leader in your home. God forbid that you should sin ceasing to pray for your kids. Where he talks to them when when he's writing Colossians, before he talks to family, he just says, we keep on praying, we keep on praying, we keep on praying. And my thought is, why wouldn't a parent be fervent in prayer for their kids, for what their kids need? And then I sit back and I have to remind myself, what was it that we thought were important things to be praying for and still pray for certain areas of our kids' lives? Obviously, we're going to pray for their physical safety. Obviously, we're going to pray that they do well in school. Obviously, we want to pray that they make some good decisions, you know, career-wise. But there are some much greater needs that even go deeper. We can be praying for their future spouse. We can be praying for their love for God's program, the church. We should be praying for a love for our, that our kids would have for lost people. We should be praying that they are discerning, that they have wisdom. We should be praying for our kids' purity. We should be praying in the sense of, hey, we, we want our kids to have that idea of, of understanding the Word of God. We want our kids to be able to have spiritual, spiritual desires. We want our kids to be growing in areas of wisdom and patience and handling trials and difficulties. We should be praying for our kids that they would be a good example to their kids. We should be praying for our kids who are raising kids right now in a horrific environment. God protect them. God keep them. God help them to have a good work ethic. God have them to have integrity in a world that doesn't even, doesn't even think integrity is great anymore. God help them to become sensitive to sin in their own life. God help them to really work at their marriage, to stick with it even when it's tough times. God help them to trust you in the middle of difficulties. And we pray for them. And we pray for them. And we understand that God hears our prayers. Does he always answer them the way we want him to? When we want him to? Not necessarily. But I know that God knows what's best. And as I pray and fast for our kids and grandkids, I am confident that the God that we are talking to can do a work in their life. Yes, can they respond and make their own choices? Yes. Might they reject him? That is a possibility. But I pray. I pray that God moves. God convicts. God chastens where he needs to. And that he is molding them and they are being drawn by the Spirit of God closer and closer to him. And I'm confident that my God, your God, he hears our prayers. And he answers many of our prayers in unexpected fashions. I read of a pastor who just shared his story. They said when he was a young man, a young child actually, when he was around 12 years old, his dad was killed in a car accident, tragically. 
said he knew his dad was a real lover of Jesus Christ. They were real faithful in their service and their devotion to the Lord, his mom and dad. But he said when his dad left, he himself wondered, how could this be? And though his mom continued to take him to church, he struggled inside. How could God do this? How could God do this to me? And as the years went by, he said, I went to church as a teen with my mom. I got involved. I did all the youth activity things. I did everything involved in church, but my heart wasn't there. My heart wasn't there. It was the thing I was supposed to do. And so on the outside, I looked decent, but on the inside, I had no love for the Lord. I had no interest. He said, my mom could see it. And he said, when I got graduated from high school, she would talk to me periodically, like, son, you need to really consider Jesus Christ. You need to call upon him as your Savior. You need to not be so bitter. He said, I got out of high school, and I determined I want to get away from here. So I signed up for the military. I was old enough. I could sign up. I signed up, came home, told my mom. Told my mom I'm going off. And at that time, there was conflict going on, and the United States was sending out troops, and she was devastated. Mom was just fearful. You're going to go. You're going to get in the wrong crowd. You're going to be influenced even further away from the Lord. And she just said, please, please, before you leave. And she spent almost the entire evening before he left for boot camp. She pleaded with him. And he was just, no, 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 no. And then she said that that morning saying goodbye to him. She says, I've kept this one possession of your dad. She went in the bedroom, came back out. And it was the watch that dad was wearing at the moment of the car accident. It stopped at 1231, the moment of the car accident. She says, I've kept it. It's been my memory piece of your father. I want to give it to you. And I want you every day to think about this. Whenever you pull this watch out, 1231, I'm going to be praying for you to get saved and give your life to Jesus. Every day at 1231, I will be praying for you. So he took it, stuck in his pocket, kind of forgot about it, but he kept it with him. And when he got stationed overseas... When that time came, and he found himself in the midst of conflict with some of his fellow soldiers, that there they were in the midst of a gunfight and a firefight, and he said when they stepped back, several of those in his group had perished. He said, I went with the others, we went back to where we were in a safe zone, and as we were sitting there, he says, and we were just trying to recruit and regroup, he said, I was sitting by myself, And I reached into his knapsack, and he said, I felt something that I had thrown in there and had forgotten about it. It was my dad's watch. And he looked at it, and then he looked at his own watch and figured out, right now, Mom's praying for me back in America. Right now. How foolish I have been. I could have died moments ago without Christ. He said, at that moment, at that spot... There, right off the, the borderline of a battlefield, he prayed and asked Jesus to be his Savior. He surrendered his life to Christ and ended up, as I said at the beginning, he ended up becoming a pastor, preaching the Word of God. Does God answer prayers? I was reading the true account that's from several years ago about a Dr. Samuel. I can't even pronounce the last name. The people were in India, one of those names that I can't pronounce. <clears throat> And Dr. Sam was talking about the time that he's this, he's this leading um, 
doctor in one of the major cities of India. His specialty that he is going, that he's been studying is spinal meningitis. This was several years ago and treatment of it. And uh, he was to be the keynote speaker at a conference that was going to be held in this city. I, I can't pronounce the name, just, I'll just call it Tri. Uh, it's Tri something. He was going to be the conference speaker the next day. And so it was a busy, busy evening. He was busy at the hospital. He barely made it to the airport. He got his bags on. He, he sat down in the plane. And he said, oh, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I've been so busy, been so busy, but I made this commitment to be their keynote speaker at whatever it is, 10 a.m. in the morning at this major conference. And uh, so he got on the plane, fell asleep, and thought, we'll get there, we'll be flying for a few hours, we'll get there, I'll land, I'll have enough time to get a few hours of sleep and get to the, this convention that I'm supposed to speak at. But the problem was, after he'd fallen asleep and no more about an hour in the flight, there was a storm that had come. And the storm, the pilot announced, we can't go any further into the heart of the storm. That's starting, beginning over that city of Tri. So they landed, and he realized, we're in a city that I'm still several hours away, even by, even by uh, driving. And he thought, well, what do I do now? And so he thought, well, I'm too busy. I'll just, I just won't show up. You know, they'll understand. But then one of the other people that he was with made, or that was on the plane made comment about they're going to hire a taxi. He thought, well, maybe I could do that. So he went out, talked to some of the taxi cab drivers, and mentioned he needs to get this city by such and such a time. And if they drove through the night, he could get there just in time. One of the taxi drivers said, I'll do that. I'll drive you. It'll cost you X amount, and I'll be your driver. I'll drive through the night. You can sleep in the back seat. You'll have no problem. My cab is comfy, all the sales pitch. So he gets in the cab, falls asleep, and the driver's going. But it's in the wee hours of the morning, all of a sudden there's jerking and shaking and the cab stops. And the driver says, I'm sorry, doctor, the roads are being washed out. This storm is really, really bad. And he says, what are we going to do? He says, we have to just wait until the storm passes. But the driver said, I saw lights just down the road a few feet. There's a house there. Maybe we can go in the house instead of sitting in the car. We can go in the house. So they got out, ran to the door. The lady opened the door, and she explained that she was by herself. Her husband was on an errand, but they were welcome to come in, and she'd give them some tea. And then she went over into the corner area of the, ho of the room, the house, one-room house. And she knelt by a bed where a child was. The doctor, Sam, is looking over, and he's thinking, well, something looks... Is she praying? Is she doing something? You know, what's the deal here? And when she came back, she was teary-eyed. He asked her if there's anything she, he can do for her. And she told him this story. She said, my, my child has a very serious disease. And this disease, the doctors say, it's fatal. And none of them can treat it. They don't know how. But there's a doctor that's going to show up at Tri-City tomorrow morning who is the leading expert on that disease. And we heard that he's a Christian and he often treats people for free. And so my husband went down to the neighbors in this massive storm to borrow a truck and we were going to take the truck and drive to the city and maybe find this Dr. Samuel da-da-da-da-da-da that they had heard from from their own local doctor. Well, Dr. Sam just became teary-eyed and said, Ma'am, let me see the paperwork. And she brought the paperwork that she didn't understand, and sure enough, it had to do with spinal meningitis, his expertise. Is God capable 
of lining up conferences, bringing in a storm, delaying the flight, lining up a taxicab driver, stopping them so that they end up, he makes a house call in the middle of the night to somebody in desperation. Can our God do that? Can he answer prayers? Then why don't we pray? If you're one of those privileged few that have believing parents who pray and pray for you, this day is a day to say thank you to that individual. To just rejoice in the fact you had a prayer warrior for a parent. Moms, I trust you have a wonderful day. I trust that God will use your prayers along with your husbands, and God will give you a great, great Mother's Day. Father, thank you for this opportunity we have to just rehearse the simplicity of the Word of God. Give us a wonderful day. Thank you for our moms, and help us to be thankful for the way you have directed in our lives so far. Help us in these days ahead to rely upon you, in whose name we pray. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. Have a great weekend.